Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Oh, we didn't pray. Should we pray? Yeah, you pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Father, we thank you for this day. Let's get to bless our time together. Help us, uh, if it's your will, to uh, use this technology well and have it serve us. And uh, bless all the people who listen to us. Mary, help us on our way. Intercede for us and bring us to your Son, Jesus. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Holy Mary Mother, Mother of God, God pray for pray us for sinners, now and at the, the hour, hour of our, our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I'm wearing my Joe Pug hat. Nice, dude. I saw Joe Pug. Hey, also, did you, that? you didn't. No. But John Carney sent me a very offensive and angry email to wear my hat backwards and not forwards, FYI. It was not uh, offensive nor angry. It was very polite and made a lot of sense. But <laughs> I don't know. That kind of telegraphs a certain dangerous criminal. It looked like, a, I'm just looked a, like a skateboarder or something. I'm just a messenger, man. That's Dude, I've seen your videos. I know you're a skateboarder. I do have some skate videos online. Do I need a hat? Yeah. I feel like this looks dorky, dude. Maybe. Can I do like a Will Smith? <laughs> dude, if you podcasted like that, that would be amazing. How about just yeah. this? Like the snapback kind of high. Who was the golfer that would wear his hat like this? Um, There was a guy. It wasn't quite like that. He was it's like Yancic. He would flip his bill totally forward. Oh, what was his name? Hmm. Jancic something. Stepernick. No. Anyway, I saw Joe Pug live in Berwyn uh, a couple weeks ago. And I got to go backstage and, and say what up. It was pretty cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Is he doing well? He's doing great. He has a new baby. Baby girl. Wow. Three kids. Wow. Was Father Bob there? Father Bob. All the Father Bobs I know are now Bishop Bob. So who are you talking about? No. Oh, Kruger. No, Father Bobby Kruger. No, 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 no. Father Bob from Berwyn. Oh, Bob from Berwyn. <laughs> you said you were in Berwyn, right? <laughs> yeah, man. That's it. Well, I, actually, Father Bobby Kruger is the priest in Berwyn. So that's why I thought you meant that. But Bob from Berwyn is now at... St. Rene Goupil, down by Midway Airport. Shout out, man. <laughs> Shout out to Father Bob Regan. Bob yeah. Regan. Woo. Yeah. Good guy. Great guy. Good golfer, too. Yep. Man. Mm. So, Rob, is your hat, is yours a cards hat? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody got this for me over the summer. This is the most legit card hat, cards hat I think I've ever had. Wow. That thing is legit, man. Yeah. Got it at a game which is pretty great. But I just, I would wear it forwards, but I don't, there's no sense in paying John Carney all this tons of money that we do mm-hmm. and not take his advice. Yeah. We don't pay him anything. <laughs> Nothing. 
Yeah, but if we don't listen to his advice, he he'll fine us, and we have to pay our production team the, tons, tons of money to fine. You know, what I thought you were going to say, and it's a phrase that I haven't heard in a while: is then the terrorists win. <laughs> <laughs> and we will not negotiate with the terrorists. <laughs> no, we used to say that a lot in the early two thousands. Yeah, but if you do that, then then the terrorists win. Like anything but that, please. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anything. Oh my. Um I have I can share something from the retreat that I was on. You guys want something to talk about this morning? Sure. I, I wanted to also um debrief about the video you sent of your nephew getting his first deer, which you weren't mm-hmm. there for. I assume that was his dad. I was across the the farm, so I heard him shoot. I had my bow out that morning but he was in like the oh the good the good spot so i was actually able to to be there which was really awesome but i was not in the blind with him mm. no i thought that was you in the blind with him nope that was my brother-in-law with him. i gotcha mm-hmm. i gotcha yep i just yep. loved the um the build up to it you can see the doe out in the field then the shot she immediately goes down and then the whispered I just shot a deer. I just shot a deer. I just shot a deer. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So for listeners, my little nine-year-old nephew, Illinois does a youth hunt in October. And so if you're under 18, I think you can um, hunt with a gun for, for one weekend in like the early deer season. It was awesome. Yeah, it was, it was, it was great. He was super, super pumped and Everyone was really excited, and we got it on video, which was really fun. Was that video on his gun? Uh-huh. Or the uh, uh-huh. camera? Yeah, it's a little camera. Just it's mounts perfect. On the, yeah, it's like the hunting equivalent of a, of a GoPro. Mm-hmm. That's so cool, man. Mm-hmm. And then I guess your brother-in-law, which I thought it was you, uh, he says, I need to tell everybody about this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> or I need to tell everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. The word got out. <laughs> but it was great. Yeah, it was. He just he made a really good shot. Was really excited. It also he was only out for like an hour before he got a deer, which is ridiculous, but also good that hopefully he's got a good. It was just a very good experience. Very very mm-hmm. fun, and it was a good weekend for sure. Little juice box. Him. Yeah, man. Juice box is the man. Yeah. It- how many how many deer have you ever gotten, Connor? Zero. I shot at one mm. with a bow, but I missed it. Dude, my <laughs> nine-year-old nephew has gotten more deer than you. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to make like I'm some <laughs> kind of hunting man. <laughs> <laughs> I told you yes, I went to that it, hunter safety course with a bunch of nine-year-olds back in uh, Danville, didn't I? No. When I was trying to get into hunting when I was in college. I had to go to a hunter safety course, which normally kids do when they're like eight or nine. The earliest you can do youth hunts. And I was sitting there in this class. The the lone 20-year-old among boys and their dads was pretty <laughs> humiliating. But I did it. So now I have a hunter's license. Nice. Or I can get one every year if I want. Yeah, here's this guy. He got held back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had to go back and retake some classes. You, no, you're it's the that I grew up in the suburbs. That's That's what makes me... You're the Don't Billy pass. Madison of the Illinois hunting scene. <laughs> I, I got bullied. A lot of yeah. kids are bullying me. 
<laughs> Stay here where it's safe. <laughs> yeah, so the retreat was good. Yeah, it was. Um, anything else on? I mean, it was. I I don't have on on the hunting. It was just fantastic to be with him. Did you have anything else there? You said you wanted to. No, just, just I thought that was really cool. Thanks for yeah. sending it. Shout out, shout out to him. It was great. Um, uh, retreat was well. One, it actually wasn't that enjoyable. Like it was the most melancholic retreat that I've ever been on. It just um, like the weather was crummy at Mundelein and um, it was not like a feel good retreat whatsoever, which I was very surprised. I've never really had that experience on a directed retreat, but it's very I was kind of bored a lot. And um, but the Lord definitely worked. And anyway, I will kind of veil this. You guys know some of the background, but for the podcast, kind of veil some of the circumstances Um Hey, was it a full eight day silent retreat? I did the five day. The five day, okay. Yep, I did the, the five day. Um, but anyway, the there was a kind of a singular grace um, in it that that really it started with spiritual direction, but it also it was I was just very thankful. I got the chance to meet with Linda Curry one morning. Which shout out to her. She's soup. She's so cool. Um, so cool. But anyway, so to the, the circumstances that I'll share on the cast would just be like, it had been a couple months of like, there was just some heavy, like things that, you know, people that I was around as a priest and very privileged to be around were dealing with some very heavy just like serious things. And um, so I would take that to prayer a lot. And I just noticed like before retreat, I just noticed there was like an anger in me around certain things that I had heard of like people experiencing. And I, I didn't really have words on it past that. But there was just this kind of like deep sense of of anger in in me and so that's kind of honestly that's how like my spiritual direction started it's like i don't know i'm just mad and like here's the circumstances i think i know where it comes from but i'm just mad and so i ended up meeting with linda one morning and we talked about a lot of stuff but this image that she gave that was was very helpful um at least to me i wanted your guys thoughts on it she talked about like whenever you are at a close proximity to evil, that's that's the words that she used. Um, but even when you're at a close proximity to to evil and you can see its effects and and really just like being close to it, um, she said actually like the very proper and appropriate response, especially from like a masculine heart, would be anger. But like deep anger um, in every sense of that word. And so then it just becomes like what you do with it, like what it propels you to to do. And she didn't like no answer to that or anything like that. But it was just good to hear from her perspective um, that there was like an appropriate response happening. And so we actually we prayed with the scene of uh, Jesus cleansing the temple. And 
it was it was very powerful just to to reflect on that of like he was angry in that moment but he was also totally in in control and so i can share more if that's like too too veiled but she like kind of closed with the session that that i had with with her she just closed with the line like a couple times she was like keep the edge like don't let go of of the edge that that it gives you because that's like the exact response that like you really should have towards this and then you start to like integrate would be kind of a seminary-esque word to to know what to um to do with it so anyway um nothing like earth shattering but just to hear it and to be able to kind of relate it in the context of the retreat was very very helpful but any thoughts to to that Hmm. You got anything on the get-go, Connor? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think my relationship with anger, it's, uh, what is the good of anger? This, you know, I know in theory, like you say, this response to evil and a desire for justice and like the motivation to act, to correct it. Um, but often, and maybe this is where you're coming from with the unpleasant beginning to the retreat, is that uh, either I feel like it comes out in this loss of control kind of acting out thing, like um, taking it out on people, you know, this sort of bubbling over of anger where you kind of lose control because you're just so mad or this shutdown it's the fight or flight and the flight is my more common reaction when I get mad about something is to just go off by myself and stew about it. And, uh, I heard the phrase fantasy justice a long time ago. And that's definitely like I'll lay up in bed and just think about like what I should say to this person or what I would say, or wish I wish I had said or, or whatever. Um, but I'll say like also, it's not often even just the big things too that make me, sometimes I'll just find myself mad about something or at a person. And it's not even like a very clear why. Um, but what I've realized recently is that um, pride gets mixed in, you know, and part of, part of the anger is my own defensiveness. And I feel like that uh, is unproductive and, when and if I'm able to let go of my own defensiveness and feeling like what's, what's really making me mad about this situation is I feel slighted and like, I am the center of this conflict. Um, and maybe this is where your masculine energy comes thing comes in. Is it like, if I'm just defending myself and my own honor and like, how dare you treat me like this? Um, that's just kind of immature and, and, dumb um and often like the person is right or they're not and then why am i getting upset you know it's like why why am i offended by somebody getting me wrong you know why can't i just like let that go whereas then you can you know if i'm able to step out of myself and just be like okay yeah i've been i've been humbled here either that's that's right and i should take it and accept it 
or it's wrong and it shouldn't bug me. Um, whatever, you know, I, but if this situation needs correcting, like, or a person needs correcting or, or challenging, then I can harness that, that anger, that upset and, and like not make it so much about me and have it consume me or make me boil over and just like focus it towards an actual loving act of, of having a difficult conversation or doing a difficult thing or pushing back on somebody or protecting somebody from somebody else. Um, you know what I mean? So th- that's what I've kind of thought of recently vis-a-vis anger is like the kind of self-righteous anger almost never has any good outcome. But if I can let go of that part, there is a certain quote anger that feels totally different. That's actually like a motivation. Um, but it's always centered on someone else, you know? And if I'm angry at a person, sometimes I'll think like, okay, if I actually have a conversation with this person about what's bugging me, am I going to, am I going to be after their good and actually loving them? Or is there some part of me that wants to really get them and prove that I'm right and they're wrong? Because that's stupid. You know what I mean? Um, and then it just becomes this thing where they're going to try, I'm trying to hurt them because they hurt me rather than some kind of like healing thing where I'm, I'm responding to something I feel bad about with a blessing, you know, an act of love. I don't know. Well, uh, I guess when I, need when somebody, I, heard, I need the guy to come by and yeah, get this guy some Gatorade do the water. <laughs> yep. Just spray, get some on your face too. Like just get into it this morning, man. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any, did you, you, have you been drinking your electrolytes? That's probably why that <laughs> jabbering didn't make sense. I need more electrolytes. <laughs> <laughs> Get your electrolytes. Um, it sounds like, at least when you were talking originally, Rob, that uh, that it's not so much like a self-righteous anger, but it's like in almost in the presence of, yeah, some some great evils that exist in people's life. Um, am I, am I getting that right? Not so much like you're personally, uh, I mean, obviously you are angry, but it's, it's not so much like, uh, somebody's done me wrong, but like, wow, there are people who have been done wrong in general in by life. Yeah. So that, and not to say I didn't relate to in, in some ways in other circumstances to what Bisk was, was saying, but, um, that that is exactly right like in this scenario it was um it it, it was it was like a, a noticing of um hey this evil happened but not in an abstract way like to someone that i care about very very much and so there's a lot of things that certainly to process like an overreaction isn't the proper response or an out of control reaction like what did what did you call that there like fantasy justice i like Mm -hmm. that Uh, um and that was when in fantasy (laughs) justice dominate dude (laughs) yeah just undefeated dominate um but you also just realize like it's just not it's not like viable because it's not possible i mean logistic in so many ways you know so just like deeply 
unsatisfying at the end of the day. So this was not that it was, it was just noticing and, and really this experience of that's why I kept, I would keep going to direction and be like, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel necessarily out of control. It doesn't, it, it was kind of new, like in this particular way of like, it's just there. Like there's an anger there associated like with thinking about it that is it's just kind of like consistently um present and so anyway that i just like the language of like when you have a certain proximity to evil like that that language then yeah like the response then it like can be good in that and there's not it's kind of not worth even like necessarily talking about it in these like hard specifics because then the response is is guided by an actual discernment which would be like the fruit of would hopefully be like a, a true indifference not being aloof but like what ignatius talks about with with indifference to desire right. like only what the lord desires in it um that's why yeah. I mean, even the the little prayer exercise with Jesus cleansing the the temple, like there's no even praying with that. There's no like machismo in him or a desire for that. But I I will say I kind of looked at it with new eyes of like, man, what was the scene like when he left huh. there? Like, what were people saying and talking about? Like after he he did that. Because yeah. he's in control of the situation, but that's a very unique scene there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's making me think of, um, well, I, I guess two things. is I, I read that book. It's called The, the Heart by Dietrich von Hildebrand. And he talks about the, I think he tries to give a proper philosophical analysis of affective movements. And... Uh, he doesn't think they've ever been really given their due diligence in the philosophical tradition that they're usually just relegated to like, Oh, it's the passions, which are then demoted to like just an animal instinct. And yet scripture elevates the affective movements to like the, some of the highest goods. So when you feel authentic contrition or you feel authentic piety or love for the Lord, like it's not just something that you're thinking or choosing, but that there's an affective felt experience to it. And he says that the proper affective response uh, can only be can only occur when the objective good, like the actual proper subject, yeah, when the proper subject is present within your heart, w w that's present within your actual affective movement. So you're not just e emoting for the sake of an emotion but that there's an objective reality that you're responding to naturally because you're, that's the way that the human heart is created. And like what I hear you saying is, is that there's a real temptation for us to react in a type of immature anger when it's like, um, I'm angry and I want to emote this, which many times is actually a type of a cloak to, to in a sense, hide other things behind it. Like I'm insecure about something or somebody's hurt me. So I'm going to lash out with anger as a type of powerful protective mechanism. Actually, one time I, I heard Karchi, he gave his vocation talk 
And he said that uh, he lashed out in anger one day at, at some of his office managers or whatever. And he said, I, I was so cowardly that I, I was essentially trying to hide my weakness by trying to appear even stronger so that nobody would actually see the insecurity of whatever was going on. And I was like, dude, that blew my mind. I thought angry people were just like really powerful people. Uh Yeah. Who, who just like couldn't control how powerful and confident they were. But he was like, no, I was (laughs) veiling. I was hiding. Yeah. (laughs) I get it. I've been hit by radiation and turned. You're not going to like me when I'm angry. Yeah. Yeah. I have so few shirts. Okay. It's just been destroyed. But then there's the, so that's like, okay, well the anger is a manifestation of like, of something deeper, a hurt and insecurity or something else that's going on there, which is actually really immature. But then to have the proper affective response of like the righteous anger is like, no, I have a love for somebody and I have a perception of how God desires for them to live. And it's way not that way. And as a matter of fact, there's like evil being done to somebody that I love. And so then the proper affective response, it seems to me like, yeah, like anger would be something like the the right way to go about that. But that's so different than the type of immature, which is which is what I do. Like I do this. And and so it that's a very different response, even though it's the same we use the same word for it. We're saying anger, but they're they're very, very different. That's I don't know if that distinction experience. makes any different makes any sense. You know, what I'm thinking of is uh, Hennessy's definition of the wrath of God is the steadfast, God's steadfast resistance to sin and death. Hmm. Um, it's not this uh, emotional passion that makes God so mad that he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. It's that it's um, the way God's love is manifested towards sin and death is through anger that he resists it. He will not just allow human beings to go off down the primrose path into hell he will come after them and fight their fight their enemies for them you know even if their enemies are kind of like this poison of sin that's in their heart and so it causes them to even suffer and have to um yeah experience the wrath themselves the punishment so to speak and it makes me think of um c.s lewis in a grief observed how he talks about god as a surgeon and this even to your point about keeping the edge, Rob, made me think of this. He said that if God is if God is evil and his anger is just this kind of mercurial, he gets mad and so he sends bad things, you know, like the death of his wife, which is what that whole book is about, and the suffering. If God is just like this, um, yeah, evil stepdad who just kind of like every every once in a while. Um, takes out his anger on you, then you you could hope that at one at one point he'd stop, like he'd just get sick of it, you know, and that passion would go away. But since God is good, if He allows any suffering, then it's for my own salvation, you know. It's so that I might love Him above all things for my own sake, so that I could live, you know, and like not be attached, have any life draining attachment to some created good, you know. As, as hard as it would might be, I, I must, because my faith in God is benevolent, 
receive this somehow as like him, like a scalpel, you know, doing surgery and he's not going to stop until the cancer is out, you know? And that's a different kind of wrath. That's a different kind of resistance to my own sin and death that he's the one, even though I'm the one that's sick and would rather just stay like ignore the problem. He's the one who's, who's after me and is actually helping me, even though I experienced that as something painful. And so it's his goodness that is almost like scary because he's not going to stop until I'm all the way healed. Um, which is an amazingly powerful thing for a person to say in that circumstance. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a totally different kind of anger. Like when we get that anger, that's something like the wrath of God, which is, like I said, not self-centered, but other centered and about, um, how we respond to the circumstances of life, which are often disordered and chaotic and, conditioned by sin. And, you know, if we see through God's eyes wisely, yeah, that, that scene in the temple, what is the aftermath like where people, people probably were angry at Jesus, you know, but in that self-centered way, like, how dare you tell us what to do or flip over my table. But those with any humility would have been like, you know what, he's, he, uh, he's right. (laughs) And he just exposed something very real you know it wasn't about jesus and what made him superficially angry it was that he understood the purpose of the temple more deeply than anyone and so he is able to identify what does not belong here and then to just excise it you know like a surgeon Yeah, it's, um, I was thinking of there too, it reminds me, and I'm starting to put some words on this too, and kind of back to the retreat experience, what was interesting about like the process of it was that, I mean, you guys have done these directed retreats and I, they're not like, how would I word it? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily, at least in the context of the retreat, like an intercessory process. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it it was a certainly like, hey, these people that I know that have suffered in this way have um, like I want to like pray for them and, and doing them for this. But the retreat itself was this opportunity, like just to process what was happening, like I noticed in myself. And so it's kind of this level of being that that's a beautiful experience. Um but it's interesting. It, it reminded me a little bit of, um, and it reminds me again, talking this morning, but Welter, old Welt dog had uh, a couple years ago given me, and this was more like processing some stuff with celibacy, like a few years into to priesthood, but he had this term called the void of reciprocity. Um, and he, he, he talked about, you know, like celibacy as an example where you do receive it as a gift. Like that's very, very important to, to understand, but you also like in celibacy, you, you give a body, but you don't get a body. And so there's this void of reciprocity in it. And so I processed that that was actually in a retreat with, with him of like, Hey, there's still this like ache in me. If I'm, if I'm honest, um, that, 
like isn't fulfilled in the way that I thought it would be fulfilled in being a priest and like having very real and like powerful closeness to, to people and intimacy with, with the Lord and all of that. But it was, so in that experience, it, it helped because it was, it put some words on of like, it, it was like this expansion of my own heart or being to be able to then like carry this lack or carry this ache in a joyful way, which I don't do perfectly or anything like that. But there was a notion of communion in suffering with the Lord. And it reminded me of this too, of like, that's what was interesting was like nothing that I was doing was like alleviating the sense of anger. And I could control, I mean, it wasn't like I was just lashing out at people or anything like that, (laughs) but it was, but it was just very clear. Like by the end of this time in silence, like Jesus doesn't want to take this from me. Um, and I think that's what Linda was getting at was like the keep the edge thing, but it just kind of flips it on its head, at least in the experience of, Hey, like, and I hadn't thought about this before, but what if there's a way to like, to carry that if your heart is bigger and more expanded to where it is actually like it's present and there's an ache there to it but it's neither suppressed nor like outlandish of just like lashing out either. Mm. But there's just like access to this like rightful response to evil that you can carry and it takes a bigger heart and it takes you to be more of a man, but it's there and maybe it actually could propel to something. Um, Good is kind of a weak word. Does that make any sense? there mm-hmm. yeah very much so very much so because i think uh as you um similar to the celibacy piece it's like well as i grow in self-knowledge and as we grow in in love with jesus then yeah our hearts i i think this is what the lord desires for us is that our hearts become more like his heart and so then the response to evil is something like what you described Connor is the, the undying persistent pursuit of good for like the people that I love in my life and I, I'm not going to stop. And so then our hearts respond like, like the father's heart, which is that man full of, full of energy and life and like pursuing that undyingly for the people that we're meant to take care of. But it's, our hearts become are meant to be more like God's heart, and then we respond, like, like Christ would in the face of that evil. And so, the reality that that's not something that God wants to take away, but that He wants you to bear. Um. Yeah, I've never thought about anger like that. I mean, I've thought about celibacy like that. We've talked about it before, but I'll have to I'll have to sit with that one. Hmm. Yeah, man. Something very true about what you're saying. I'm I'm thinking about it as applied to fear in my own life. Like, um, you know, I, I would I would love for God to just take away some of my fears, mm. but there are some that He hasn't, but have become kind of ingredient 
in my growth and love for him and for other people. It's because I have this, this fear, this unpleasant emotion that is a response to certain things that are rational. You know, sometimes it's, it totally makes sense to be afraid in this situation, but, and I would rather be like totally self-possessed and not feel anything and just be able to like go into this situation, um, with no anxiety whatsoever. But, um, it becomes a place of poverty where I, I have to reach out for help and be like, Lord, I cannot do this uh, by myself. And um, it becomes a way to sacrifice. It becomes a thing that I can offer, you know, and if it were easy, it wouldn't, it just wouldn't be as valuable to Christ, you know, and it's, it's a quiet, silent thing. It's like not this big flashy thing that I can do for God in front of everybody. It's, it's totally hidden, you know, except now I'm talking about it, but um, not the specifics that is just those things that we carry like that's very profound what welter said about celibacy um that strikes deeply too like this hidden thing that we just carry all the time and can be a place where we feel sorry for ourselves or we make some big ostentatious show of it or you know like look at how much i've given up um or if it's just this quiet carrying with christ of and celibacy is something christ owned you know he he lived that too literally so place of communion in the solitude of it um and that's not to say like oh it's it's totally fine it's actually better than marriage you know like no there's something objectively painful about it um yeah but that's good yeah 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 well that's uh we talked about this a little bit connor but that's a part of the I get a little frustrated when people are like, Hey, a priest, you're married to the church. It's the exact same thing. Right. You're married. And you're like, No. It's it's I it's like it. Right. But I give a body and I go I wake up in my bed. It's I, go fantastic. On, I go to sleep by myself every night. My life is fantastic. I get up, I'm three in the morning. I make soup. <laughs> I love it. I love it. My life is fantastic. <laughs> like, yeah, I give a body until I get a body. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got it for sure. Like, I got a body-shaped pillow over here. Just <laughs> hug at night. <laughs> it's a place of deep communion. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's intense, man. I've never thought about anger like that. Uh, I've just usually tried to... You know, like I've flipped tables. Like this is, I'm Jesus right now. So I go into our faith formation offices, flip every table, like throw scissors at walls. Uh, don't strike anybody. Those days are behind me. <laughs> no more hitting. You've made my house of, my father's house of faith formation, a den of thieves. <laughs> <laughs> a den of Bibles and, and gift bags for kids. How dare you? <laughs> well uh, i should uh <clears throat> i should get going get my day started here i thought rob had the heart out i know but especially since we're uh to break the fourth wall we're gonna cast tomorrow for next week mm. and i didn't get up early enough to do the breviary before casting so oh jasper parnovich yes what That's did, the golfer's name. What did I yes. say? Yatsik 
Spitz to panic, I think I said. <laughs> Wolf's Yatsik uh, Wolf Castle, I believe, is what you is what you said. That's preparing. Oh, did man. you Google that or just did that come to you? That just came to me looking at your nice. your Joe Pug hat. Dude, it does make me think. I just gotta throw this in here. The anger piece, the the experience of going to Father Capon's funeral there yeah. and hearing a lot of his story. Um man, I wonder if he would be a good example to like see what that looks like embodied because he was such a loving guy, but clearly like, I don't know if he was angry, but he was so close to evil, man, oh, and yeah. loved people like a father yeah. in it. Um, I mean, he it, I don't know about dog cussing the Chinese communist soldiers that were there, but he would give them the business, man. He, he was intense and fierce to them in opposition towards them yeah. and, and not in an irrational, passionate like animalistic type way, but in a controlled, thoughtful, and ultimately loving way for his soldiers. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, oh, that's good. I'm going to take that. Yeah, that's It's helpful. just, you guys know, I mean, just the power of like, just relational prayer, it, it just, and kind of the freedom to like ponder that, I think is profound as, as well. Um, it was, it was an interesting experience on, on retreat because it you know it's like you go in my director seemed like a great dude but i'd like never met him before so like you're kind of like learning each other and how to communicate and everything like that and um and then i had over the last couple months you do you just kind of fall back and you fill yourself with like cliches and platitudes like just to get by you know like surrender to god surrender yeah. to god serenity now yeah and uh and then you just get to meet with like someone of clarity like linda it's like f that you know like <laughs> let's get rid of that <laughs> right now and actually just talk to the living god here hmm. um it was yeah, i was really good that's thanks for sharing that that's yeah. awesome yeah it's tight dude it's that was a sick bro that was yeah that was lit Linda Curry does have that effect on on people. Well, if you're gonna wear your hat like that, then definitely you should wear it backwards instead. Or what? What if is, we all three of us got and this became our thing? What's Joe Carney's problem, dude? What's wrong with casting like this? Yeah, we should definitely call him Joe Carney. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's John Pug. Actually, <laughs> thanks, Justin, for all you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Keep it real, guys. It's good to have you back, Rob. Yeah, good to be yeah. back. All right, talk to you guys next week. Wink, wink. Follow V-Dogs North on Instagram. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.
ducks. Good girl.